0: OK, hello everybody. I think we're going to start. Band photo. The museum team have to go to a meeting for their next <laughs> exhibition um, <laughs> in a bit, so I want to get started before they have to go. So, welcome to A Stage for New Parenthood. This is our third event. Um, the theme for today is district. So, we've got our taped lines here indicating this little district of M Pavilion for the day. Um, before we start, I'd like to acknowledge the traditional owners of this land, the Bunwarang people of the Kulin Nation. And I acknowledge elders past, present, and future, and any Aboriginal people here today. Um, just a reminder, please use this space as your own. Do you know your, you and your babies are the most important people here today. So change your ba- baby's nappy on our special golden change mats, um, which I lovingly covered this morning. Um, you know, breastfeed them, feed them whatever, um, get a coffee, go to the toilets. The best baby change other facilities near here are at the NGV, I think. Um, there's a microwave, lots of great facilities over there. Um, and, yeah, just please let your baby do whatever. We're cohabiting the space today with another installation. So let your baby, you know, bang them. Don't worry. Um, and, yeah, just quickly I'd like to thank M Pavilion for having us here today and Baby Rest for donating the baby change mats, um, RMIT Design Hub for loaning us the bean bags and the Melbourne Museum team for bringing this wonderful setup, um, which already is attracting lots of babies. Um, OK, so in case, you're not, uh, in case you've come recently, we've got release forms over there Please sign them um, or not and let us know if you don't want us to take photos of your baby. Um, And also, we've got name tags today, which was Karen Pickering, one of our speakers' suggestion um, about how to create a little community here today. So, if you don't have one already, please write your name on um, and put it on. So, this series comes out of um, my collaborator, Kate Riggs, and my lived experience of having a small child and trying to negotiate getting around the city. With it, Kate doesn't have a baby. She's an architect. Um, And we've been sort of having conversations about how it changes your spatial experience when you have a small child. Um, We've had two events so far. The first one, House, Uh, we domesticated the pavilion with an abundance of soft furnishings, lots of Persian rugs and cushions. The second one, Street, we created a pram highway through here and had a median strip. Um, and for this one district, we were trying to think, you know, what are our district spaces when you have a baby? And the Melbourne Museum, I think, is one that anyone here with a baby probably has spent a lot of time at. I know I have. Um, so we thought that was the perfect um, way to indicate di- the district of parenthood. Um, the architects of this space, Rem Coolhouse and David Giannotten, said that The pavilion can function both as a stage and a playground. And we take this statement literally. So please, yeah, this is your playground for today. Um, We wanted to invert the usually very private spectacle of new parenthood and turn it into something public, something cultural. This is a way both to reclaim some of the city that parents are often excluded from and also to educate non-parents, especially architects and city planners, about the trials of new parenthood. How could our houses, streets, districts, cities be designed to better accommodate this time of life? Um, So on the theme of district, OMA, the designers of this pavilion, said that the pavilion is a tool for citizens to use and to be together in different configurations. And today's theme, the architecture of community, fits perfectly into this notion of how we should use the pavilion. Um, District is a scale that often sits outside of... Um, discussions around the built environment. Community, social interaction, sense of belonging can be prompted by architectural gestures hosted by particular spaces, but ultimately can't be designed or really anticipated. Many examples of our existing district architecture are really out of date, reflective of past community activity. So we've got those really daggy old libraries that we all probably spend a lot of time in. Um, But you can see that that's changing too. I I go to the Kathleen Syme library and community space a lot, which has really wonderful facilities um, for pretty much anything that you want to do, including breastfeeding by yourself and then having a work meeting while your partner looks after your baby. You know, there's all kinds of spaces there. Um, so, and the Pauline Gandall Children's Library at the museum and the new Ground Up exhibition at Science Works are wonderful examples of a kind of new wave of design for parents and babies. So we're really excited to have the team here today um, and yeah we're curious to investigate how our built environment can respond to contemporary experiences of community what are the opportunities for the static built environment to be reimagined or reused through um, social technology temporary exhibition infrastructure rather than the really expensive and slow spatial adjustments that often um, are coupled with architecture um, And how could could this be considered within our focus of creating a more baby-friendly city? Uh, So, yeah, today we're negotiating these two installs. We've got our soft baby install and then this very hard, noisy install. This is Matthew Bird's um, installation that's called uh, An Immersive Encounter with the Afterlife. So, this uh, references... Celestial bodies and the death of stars and the kind of spiralling down. These straps are the straps used to lower coffins um, into the ground. And, um, yeah, it'll be interesting, interesting to see how the babies want to use them. I think. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay, so I'm going to just jump now to uh, the team here and keen to hear what you've brought and how you think this space should be used. Um, just quickly, we've got, here we've got Joe Pritchard, um, who's a senior graphic designer for the Children's Gallery. We've got Naomi Fogel, who's the senior exhibition designer for the Children's Gallery. <laughs> we've got Scott Parker, um, who's the senior exhibition designer for Ground Up at ScienceWorks, and Murphy Peoples who's um, the experienced developer for Ground Up. So, welcome and thank you very much for being here. And just, yeah, keen to hear about um, what you're doing. And then we've got lots of questions to ask you after.
1: (laughs) Who has been to the Melbourne Museum and seen the Pauline Gandel Children's Gallery? Okay, preaching to the converted. Excellent, that's very good. (laughs) So, we'll just try and give you some background on, uh, on the development of the Children's Gallery. So, when we first did um, some research into, into our visitors to the space, um, we saw that by far three-year-olds, there was this massive spike. So, you kind of look at all the ages kind of like that, and then the three-year-olds like that, and then the ladies in their... Well, I didn't say ladies, but people in their early 30s, there was a massive spike. So, it was quite clear that those were really significant... Ages. So the previous get, a children's gallery was aimed at uh, three to five-year-olds. So when we saw those stats and we saw that the three-year-olds spike in there, we actually ended up lowering the age of the the gallery that we're designing for. So it was we decided to go five and under. So kind of from six-month-old, and it was quite interesting because we did um, a presentation quite early on for our concept design phase, and one of the um, one of our senior managers kind of sniggered when we said six-month-olds, and um, our um, uh, lead community and education program manager at the time shut that down pretty quickly and kind of explained how babies are some of the most intense learners. Like, you go undergo so much changes at that time, and they're learning, and they're taking everything in, and, you know, their brains are connecting in different ways, so um, we felt quite uh, chuffed. Anyway... So, we've lowered the the age as well as we brought the entry into the gallery forward. So, um, about 68% of people with small children used to make it through to the big box, which was, you know, like the children's gallery. Um, But we wanted to increase that visitation and we ended up bringing the, the gallery forward by quite a lot. So, then we started at the train Um, right at the entry. So instead of everyone just going right into the dinosaurs, we were trying to steal them away from the dinosaurs. (laughs) And instead of, you know, non-designers would tell you, put a big sign there that says children's gallery this way, whereas we wanted to create something that was really bit of a milestone thing, everyone, you could see from space, you know, you kind of walk in, turn left, go towards the train and that's really the moment where we wanted to turn into a child-led experience rather than a parent-led experience. So, you know, creating a little tunnel for them you know, they'll grab mum's hand and they'll just go through the through the gallery. Um, so we're kind of starting it off on a different note. Um, the train was selected quite early on, and it's a bit of a symbol of arrival and departure. Um, you're leaving the um, the old the old museum, and you're really kind of heading into into a wonderland um, for our small visitors. So we started. Uh, yep. Okay. Um, we did a lot of prototyping while we were doing this. So we consulted with um, over 500 children and loads of parents. Um, early on, we did a lot of workshops, um, just blue sky thinking in the spaces. We had sessions with designers, with parents, with uh, museum members. We kind of asked everyone for their opinion. And then once we got to concept design, we also started talking a lot to um, health professionals of different... Um, uh, institutions, so there was the deaf, um, there was autistic um, maze, yep, um, so a whole, all sort of vision vision impaired, and so every every stage we would check in with them and see if there was um, if there was some easy wins that or if we were doing anything really wrong or if we could just make it better. And so we would, we would constantly consult with them, and they were so happy to see um, that we were taking on their feedback and incorporating it into the gallery. So the train tunnel, um, there's uh, sound and there's the moving lights in, that go through there. Um, we're just acknowledging that that's quite a big uh, journey just to make it to the museum with small children. You know, you've got to get on the tram or get in the car, get the children ready, etc. So really having a moment of arrival. So you've got the train, there's something for the kids to do, but there's a coffee shop. <laughs> very important. When we were doing all of our talking with the parents, there is the coffee shop and you can take it outside. And then we spent quite a lot of time in the toilets, um, more so than our fabulous producer probably want to. Joe and I spent a lot of time in the toilets. We found the, uh, the Breastfeeding Association's um, Baby Care Awards. So it has a very handy, like very long list of things to tick. So we just went through it and tried to tick as many things as we possibly could. Um, you have no idea how many emails and meetings were had about whether to have hand dryers or paper towel dispensers. Um, the hand dryers won, by the way. So <laughs> um, we also wanted to make sure that it was quite um, an open, welcoming space, so um, people from different religions, so that there's a space, a private space where you can go and feed. We were careful not to call it a breastfeeding space, just to make it really inclusive. Um, Joe, do you have anything to um, add? I just about?
2: want to make a comment. When we prototyped the um, tunnel, we actually built this to scale, and we brought a whole lot of kids in. We, had, we formed a relationship with Lady Gowrie um, Child Care Centre in Docklands, and they're an amazing um, group of people. And the first thing, we thought, oh, kids will want to be a train, they'll hear train sounds, they'll go choo-choo-choo and, you know, be the train. And what they actually wanted to do was uh, slide down the sides and it was like a great, fun slide. So we went with that and we thought, well, if it's a slide, how do we make it safe and slideable? And I guess we always talked about design space and lib space and particularly with young children where you can never predict what they're going to do and you have to kind of go with that and that's why doing the testing was really important that we could respond and adjust and, you know, just make it really focused on them. We were really clear that they were our target audience, although we were really also mindful of the carers who were coming along and, you know, that they had a a good time as well, so...
1: Yeah, so when we started doing it we made it quite clear that this is for the children we're not designing this for the parents you won't see anywhere a sign that says your baby is now learning about the blah 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 you know like it's for the children to have a good time but at the same time to provide plenty of seating for the parents so that they can either sit and watch their baby play or they can play with with their child or they can really just be on their phone and know that it's you know that it's okay, and we're not judging at all. And a parent might go through all of those different phases
2: in a single visit. Oh. Um, looking around the space here today, right now, I can see we're, we're operating in all three. So, <laughs> um, and parents will, you know, operate in all those different modes within an hour, even. So that's all cool. And
1: um, where are so you? Yes. So, one of the things that we learned from um, from our health professionals what that, was that kids love following pathways. So, we'd had some paths to, like, little um, stepping stones to follow outside in the garden. And then they're like, oh, my God, that's amazing. You should do that everywhere. And we're like, okay. So, we did. Um, in order, so, when you come from the train, the museum station area, and there's little dots so the dots actually go kind of in an arc, so it doesn't go past the, so it doesn't go into the toilet area. And there's a couple of seats outside there. So you, you know, parents will take the most direct route, whereas children will take the funnest one. So that's kind of what we were operating on. And it's easy because um, that's, this space here is used for programs. So you can kind of tell the children follow the green dots and then find the blue dots and go and sit in the pond. Um, so there's um, all sorts of technology that's sort of hidden inside those cupboards. Um, and Joe and I spent um, a lot of time on, on some of the materials in, in, well, everywhere, really, but in this one in particular. So, we you know, trying all sorts of different techniques and flatbed printing, uh, timber veneers, which then have inlaid um, external cladding materials that have been laser etched with um, graphics. We worked with uh, Ghost Patrol a local street artist, so he did a lot of the illustrations for us, um, both in the in some of the joinery as well as on the wall. Um, and one principle we used was that, you know, kids don't want to look at a train, they want to be on a train, they want to play with the thing. So things and showcases, while it was really important for us to have them there, you know, from a collections point of view, there was always going to have to be some way for them to play with it or interact with it, so... Um, there'll always be something for them to do around the object. So it's really integrated into our experience and just to make it kind of richer and part of the story.
2: We have one traditional label and it's right at the beginning of the gallery and it's um, for the train. And the idea is you go through the tunnel and you arrive at Museum Station and you're suddenly in a different world and a different mindset. So from then on, um, you're not in the traditional museum world and, you know, in a world where you can crawl and put things in your mouth and climb and explore and that's how, you know, your children are going to learn. So, it, you know, very much based on experiential learning.
3: And I think that's very... It's been very... or well, I assume it was very challenging for the curators yes. and the experts within the museum <laughs> to, to propose there's no labels and no explanatory panels and there's no place for me to put my 2,000-word essay because I'm really passionate yes. about this object. So, that... I imagine with lots a, of yeah. discussions. <laughs> but also weird briefs, like, let's go
1: find all the round things in the collections. And you know what? Triangles are really hard. So we're like, we have to go by the Alessi teapot. It's a perfect equilateral triangle. <laughs> <laughs> let's go by the... So, you know, the curators are like, okay, sure. Like, it wasn't an object... Uh, Lead exhibition, so it was quite a different things. Literally, we were going to shops and going to find square things and cool things, and what like raiding everyone's cupboards through the whole museum.
2: Yeah. Um, this is a, a showcase that's based around spotty animals and stripey animals. And this one, we had a lot of discussions around do we need to label the animals? And we actually asked parents, you know. Um, do you think you need to know? And in the end, we compromise. We have a really common name because we thought not everyone knows what a badger is. Well, we might know a jaguar, but there's some kind of tapirs and weird things. So we just put the common name in there. But we also see that as a learning um, experience between the carer and the child. So... um, But, yeah, the kids may be engaged with this case, but then the animals escape from the case... And they go into the camouflage disco where, again, they can um, explore getting spots projected onto them or stripes, dance. Um, We worked with a lot of sound designers, um, musicians and video artists. And we have um, 60 minutes of varying um, projection art, I guess it is, and... The beauty of that is uh, every time you come, you'll hear something different and see something different, hopefully, and it doesn't drive all the uh, customer service officers nuts.
1: (laughs) Something else that was really important for us was um, materials, and so we did a lot of testing because we have quite long lead times for our exhibitions. um, Right from concept, which was like a year before uh, we were actually opening, we got a whole bunch of stuff made. So, like these cushions that you're sitting on and an earlier version of this rug and we just got it made put it on the floor and then saw what wore well so we could literally go good fabric bad fabric good fabric keep it keep it keep it and they were so popular especially these kind of things we just ended up kind of going all right, well let's just make a few sets of them and just run them out and that the kids will find a way of playing with it they like to stack them or they like to hop from one thing to another um it all the our solid surfacing uh, is really important so we because we have to last for 15 years in a very high <laughs> high traffic um, area with very hands-on
3: little children. And, and mouths on.
1: And mouths. So everything needs to be cleanable. So you have to be able to vomit on it. Um, apparently, um, <laughs> breast milk is extremely fatty and hard to get out of. Um, out of fabric, but you guys probably know that better than I do. Um, So, uh, Lots of challenging, but also because we know that otherwise the upkeep later on is going to be massive, so we might as well try and make it as robust as we could right from the word go. So we ended up slapping... Corian on just about everything. This is not an ad for Corian um, or different solid surfaces, just so that we don't have nasty edges that get bumped and have to be, you know, kept up, etc. So, you know, it's been a year, and you know, there's somewhere in some areas, but if you look around, it's still looking. A lot of the things look look okay.
0: Are we I just wanted to ask what Corian is.
1: Oh, it's a it's a bench top material, so kitchen bench type of stuff. So you can you can slump it, you can. You know, you can do all sorts of stuff with it. and this, the train?
3: Because the colour goes all the way through, so yeah. scratching is not a problem. You don't have to touch it back up with paint and things like that. It, do, it does bump. If you bump
1: it hard enough, it'll go white. It'll get ah. a white oh, dot yes. in it, So, that, but they can buff that out. Yeah.
3: Sorry, boring detail.
1: You can detail.
2: Wh- whack it with a pram. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> um, I'm just also considering we had an a, enormous outdoor area and... I guess that examination of what was child-friendly um, went outside as well in terms of our surfaces that, you know, you can fall on them and you hopefully won't injure yourself too much. But all the plants, you can actually eat. And, um, you yeah, we had to uh, examine absolutely everything from that point of view of if you put it in your mouth, is it going to harm someone?
1: This is quite challenging because we normally do this talk in the space while pointing at stuff. But um, feel free to just you know bump in and ask us any questions as you go along as well um there's also no screens there's one single screen with the Tidlick story on it um we did lots of uh asking of parents and they were saying they actually want to get their children away from the screens so um there's one Tidlick story so about the this the thirsty frog um oh, he's somewhere. where is he he's in the middle somewhere but that's, that's the only one and that was quite an important one because we've got the story about Tidlick and then with the first little frog inside and then as you go outside, they, you know, Tidlick grows and grows and grows until he spits out the water, the big fat tiddlyck. Um It's okay. Anyway. So, we obviously, we have the big box which is a massive void. So, what are we going to do? So, we wanted to go up but up in a meaningful way So it's almost like the inverse of the previous gallery, if you can remember it. So the other one kind of had um, a built form and it kind of closed off all the sides, whereas we have quite a lot of permeability, like the sight lines were really important. So, you know, the, the parents can sit down the bottom and if they have a small baby, there's like smaller bounces, et cetera, while you're three or four or five or eighteen year old can be up in the top, yes, a whole rugby team was uh, apparently inside the climbing net on white night uh, this year gone, so those knots have been stretched as far as they uh, they could go, so hopefully we 're good now forever but um, so it, it was luckily over engineered as they do and it was uh, it was safe enough uh, for the longest time we had on our floor plan it said a large mechanical colorful that moves that you can see from the top of the tree Um, but it took quite a long time to find something to put in there and eventually we came up with this um, twirly, uh, the big pattern wall so you can kind of um, pull on those things but there's also smaller ones, smaller things that are related that you can do underneath it Uh, reading nook was important for our um, uh, education people's and 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 everyone, of course, uh, we we had lots of weird materials, just you know, that we bought to try and play with. So you know, those little those tiles, and you can just they're kind, just kind of squishy things. So we that just ended up incorporating that into the floor. Just so just, we have lots of surprises, and uh, babies and small children spend a lot of time near the floor. So we wanted to make sure that when they're crawling around, that they've got something to look at and something to play with quiet area. So we had high energy zones and low energy zones. Um, this is this ended up being a really fun the, the owl. Uh, it's my favourite. You can talk
2: about it then. <laughs> um, we at the Melbourne Museum and Scott's going to talk about Grand Up in a minute which has a different focus but we were trying to incorporate museum objects wherever we could um, and I just really love this one. It's really simple. We've got some owls and little crickets and frogs and what the Beauty is pretty much just a pool noodle with a torch on the end and you point at it and you can hear the animals and they light up and it's just wonderful to see, you know, we've seen like 12-month-olds be able to operate this and wherever we did want to have instructions, we feel that if you have to have instructions then we've kind of failed a little bit. So it's really lovely as a designer to sort of go into the space and see a child... Pick up that noodle and point it, and it works. And it's just yeah, really elegant. And um, they get an instant reward. Yeah.
4: Okay, so I'm going to talk about um, mine and Murphy's experience um, with Ground Up out at ScienceWorks, which has only been open for a week. So we haven't had um, as much time to kind of. Uh, settle into the space and see how it's being used but um we kind of got thrown into the fire the first day we opened we had um little kids day in so we had 2,000 children through in one day which was um which was quite daunting um the first step that we took was like really looking at what children's was um achieving in their process uh which was 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 really helpful um for those of you who don't know, we're, we're actually all under one um, design team. So we're all based at Melbourne Museum, so we can be doing work at Melbourne Museum, Science Works, Immigration Museum or Rural exhibitions. So we do get to be spread across a lot of venues at once. Um, so me and Murphy and Jacob Tolo were the creatives um, on ground up out at Science Works, which at the start is a real challenge. Like Science Works h- hasn't had a kind of refresh and uh, for a long time. Um, and has sort of been wedded in this, uh, this era of the, of the object, of the label, of the screen, um, three things that we decided early on that we didn't want. Um, so it was really important to figure out what we didn't want and then what we wanted. Um, so we've ended up with a space with no text other than, you know, the welcoming and acknowledgements and things like that. So um, no text. Um, no screen and no objects, other than a few little pieces that we uh, recycled from um, the much-loved nitty-gritty exhibition upstairs. Um, so really early on, we, we we cast the net really wide, as did children's did, so that blue sky thinking. So seeing all the different experiences and li- did little different um, activities that apply to different age brackets. So early on, we we broke it down into... So our target market is zero to five-year-olds, but we figured that there's actually... That can be broken down into three. So um, the really little ones, um, predominantly, you know, propped up or on their back. Um, the next age bracket up where they're very independent and want their own activity and they want to be able to show off. And but, then that, but
3: don't want to share.
4: N- no. No sharing. <laughs> no sharing. Um, and then yeah, from that sort of three- to five-year-olds where it becomes more collaborative and they want their own space and feel ownership of what they're doing. Um, so that informed even the the overall space planning. Um, so we did divide it into three spaces, um, and we actually cast, we actually printed out every activity that we had thought of, and every concept, and laid it all out. And I think there was two or three hundred different ideas, and actually lumped them all together and s- thought, well, those five activities are kind of similar. How can we combine that into one thing? Um, our space is quite a bit smaller. Um, ...than Children's Gallery, so it was quite a challenge.
3: Um, it's a nice cacophony thing and, going and on. And yeah, it's good. I guess, <laughs> similar to Children's Gallery... You know, the, the, ...for those of you who've been to ScienceWorks in the last few years... ...we had an exhibition space upstairs called Nitty Gritty Super City. That was built about 20 years ago... ...and the age it was built for was five to eight-year-olds. And lots of text panels and instructions and objects in boxes... Um, but we found that it was really more you know, two to five-year-olds that were using the space, but here it was upstairs, so all our visitors with prams had to go up the elevator, which was very slow, very small. Uh, the baby care facilities are on the lower ground floors. So they had to get back in the elevator and go down two floors if you wanted to uh, change nappies or whatever. Um, so we're bringing the, this space that was built for babies to five-year-olds to the ground floor Um, And even though it is that much smaller space, we thought it was really important to put in baby care facilities and toilets because small people's physical needs can sometimes be very urgent, particularly if they're having a really good time and they don't want to leave the space. But you can see they're doing a wee-wee dance. Um, You toilets are right there. You don't have to go far. Ah, that wee-wee dance. Um, But, yeah, so, you know, we thought... It was important to have their physical needs cared for um, within that space.
4: Um, so, just a little bit of a background to where we came from to develop the exhibition. So, we really wanted to have this focus on um, like STEM curriculum. So, you know, science, technology, engineering, and maths, which ScienceWorks does really well, um, but not for that that smaller age bracket because uh, we were finding that a lot of um, younger children, especially uh, females, were self-selecting themselves out of those those types of activities and, and careers. Um, so so we went away from that real primary colour um, or that pink and blue um, kind of thing, so we don't have any primary colours within the space, um, but we took a lot of cues from the real-world environment. So, you know, things that really kind of spark the interest of children, so it's, you know, switches, it's, it's road markings, it's stripes on buildings, it's construction, it's, it's open-ended play, so there's not actually any activities where there is an ultimate outcome and a, and a reward. Uh, there is a reward, but it's not like, yes, you've done it, move yeah, on to the next one. There's thing.
3: no right or wrong. No. Everything's open-ended and intuitive.
4: Yep. Um, and we also thought it was important to maybe give children um, things that they maybe get frowned upon. <laughs> um, not
3: allowed to play with switches at home, but at ScienceWorks we've got, I think it's 1,376 light-up switches. You can switch them on and off and on and off and on and off and on and off. Um, So, it's a really nice fine motor skill to develop, but it's interesting. You'll see, even just this week, watching kids, first they turn them all off, they turn them all on, they turn them all off, they turn them all on, and then they start creating patterns or making shapes, and the older kids will try and write their names. Um, So, then you you get into some really nice problem solving um, and and some science and, and early maths, foundational maths skills there as well, so... Um, But, yeah, being able to touch switches um, is very fun. Uh, And then we've got our uh, big car wash. We originally wanted a... It's not a car wash. We wanted a forest full of these big, bright blue car wash brushes. Uh, And they ended up being... um, Because we want you to be able to touch things you don't usually get to touch and it's really exciting as a kid to go through a car wash. um, Or a bit frightening. My four-year-old hid last time we went through one. Um, uh, But they... Turned out they're actually quite hard to clean and because we need everything to be really easy clean, um, we've ended up with fruit washing brushes uh, made by a company in Sunshine. So we've got some local um, industry there and using them in a really different way um, and they're really highly sensory, really lovely to touch.
4: Um, So that was also a premise for a lot of the fabricators that we used and materials. We wanted it to be um, sort of as close to science works as possible. So... Um, yeah, we sort of found all these weird fabricators from industry. So, yeah, um, you know, car wash brushes, you know, big engineering firms, um, tried to get a lot of real world materials as we could. Um, and the same as Children's Gallery, um, every material that we wanted to use had to be coloured all the way through. So we really stared away from that, that painted surface or anything that's going to get chipped or dinged um, because... You know, nitty gritty was there twenty plus years, and um, we we want our, ours to last as, as long as possible. Um, but yeah, we we haven't sort of seen how how it's uh, it's evolving um, as such. But we're getting um, yeah really good feedback, um, and also from a design point of view, uh, I know we always talked about like looking from the visitor's perspective, so. Um, whether that is a parent or whether that is, you know, a toddler on their back, we've, we've got to think about that the, the whole way through. So, you know, if, if it's an area specifically for these little guys, um, you know, we don't want lights shining right down in their face or if you're breastfeeding or if you're having a little bit of downtime, you know, um, uh, which, was, which was really interesting. I think it works really well. I think the last night of install, we were all lying on the floor and someone said, oh, this is what it's like to be, um, a toddler, and it, and it, and it does work. Um, and we wanted a space that there was no uh, hidden areas where you know, parents could get their children lost. So so as a child, you feel, feel like it's your space um, because you might be behind something, you might be doing something, but then your parent can see you. So looking at all those different perspectives all the way through... Um, uh, just a little bit of sort of background as well from a graphic design point of view. Um, Jacob, who the graphic designer, couldn't be here today, but we wanted a space where there was um, a transition from the built world into all of the collateral that goes out. So our branding was really strong. Uh, we had a character that some of you might have seen um, Dot. So um, I'll grab her. Can I just grab Dot? Mm.
3: Thank you. He's our little dot.
4: Yeah. Uh, so Dot's a character that you sort of see throughout the space. Um,
3: Sometimes she's really big. There's, she's massive. She's about, I think she's about the same height as me. Yeah. Um, big, giant, pumpkin, soft Dot on the wall. Um, and Dot was also our, our female role model in the space. My challenge to Jake was, can you make a girl character who can be a role model for the young girls in the space, um, but who doesn't have eyelashes, who doesn't have lipstick, who doesn't have a bow in her hair or pigtails, um, and, and this was where we ended up. Um, so, yeah, she's, she's really cute, and she'll um, feature in our programming and, and for schools and for um, public as well. Yeah.
4: And there's even little design cues, even with her, you know, like there's little hatches from, you know, architectural models or landscape design that we used on her, on her feet and just, like, little tiny things that, I suppose... <laughs> Not many people will sort of pick up on, but when in the scheme of things, it all sort of ties
3: in together. Um, Um, But, yeah, I guess it's it's so new, so we would love you all to come along and and give it a good test run for us. Mm. Um, Put all the things in your mouth, please, Mm. because that's uh, what it's been built for. But it has been really nice just this week going into the space um, because we've got this little wall... Um, covered with circular mirrors which we had intended for tummy time and every time you go down there there's a baby there having tummy time. My kids hated tummy time so um, that would have been perfect but yeah it's it's been it's been really affirming seeing people use the space um, how it was intended but it's also fun to see um, children using the space in ways we hadn't thought of um, and that's fine too.
0: I'm conscious that you guys are going to need to go soon, but I I had a couple of questions and also wanted to see if anyone else had any. But um, I might just ask you one while people think about theirs. Um, I guess I was wondering what kind of community these spaces construct. Like, um, I've had really fleeting interactions with other parents in these spaces. I'm often, you know, there alone with Mabel, my daughter, and haven't had a proper adult conversation all day and maybe feeling a bit alienated and over it, um, which is why we usually go to the museum. Um, And, yeah, I have really brief, fleeting interactions with those parents, but it doesn't kind of then merge into other community. Like, I know that the Pauline Gandel wing just won um, the Melbourne Award for Contribution to Community by a corporation. And I was wondering, what kind of community do you see these spaces constructing?
2: Um, Well, I guess... When we were planning the space, we actually created lots of areas throughout it where, like this, people can gather. Um, I think Murphy can talk a lot about our um, work with communities locally, but um, we offered a free membership for every baby that was born this year and we really wanted people to come along and treat it a bit like their lounge room and to drop in. We, have get, we are getting um, community groups locally that we invite in and we have special mornings. Some communities, um, it can be a bit intimidating for them to come to a museum. Um, they may be from other cultural, socioeconomic backgrounds. So we try to um, help facilitate, I guess, that um, first step into the museum and to um, break it down and make it an easier place they learn how to navigate. And um, I guess also through our education, so we're really targeting early learning centres to
3: come in as well.
2: Um, but Murphy, yeah, you can talk so about outreach and yeah.
3: Um, the museum has an outreach program that um, travels the state, um, mostly to four-year-old kindergartens. Um, but I think the the program you were referencing, Joe, I want to go to the museum, um, which we partner with. Um, both at ScienceWorks and Melbourne Museum with local um, facilitated play groups. Um, So, these might be, um, say, a young mothers group in Footscray or um, some newly arrived families or um, I guess really the aim of them, it's a targeted access program. So, it's small groups of parents with small children uh, to help, I guess, demystify that museum experience, I mean, Melbourne Museum's quite a confronting building and it's even hard to know where the door is. Um, so, And because it's free if you've got a concession card and many of the, the people that participate in these targeted programs have concession cards, so even just walking people through the process of getting a ticket and um, the, one of the first ones we ran at Melbourne Museum um, with Sudanese um, mother's group. You know, these, this woman standing in line, shaking, She's so nervous about having to buy a ticket. Um, but then, because they'd visit a number of times and it was facilitated with the same person and the facilitator from their playgroup was there as well, um, just building that confidence into just accessing the museum and demystifying it because it is for everyone. It's owned, the museum's collection is essentially owned by the people of Victoria. Um, and at ScienceWorks, we can introduce some science literacy as well. Um, for those groups um, and just to help make the venues more accessible. So uh, there's sort of some targeted, intentional communities that we're bringing in. Um, and But, yeah, like um, Joe was saying, building spaces where you can have people sitting around together, um, b- babies playing safely while your toddler's over there and you can still see them. Um, so just making everything really easy um, so you don't have that panic of having lost your child. <laughs>
4: Yeah, I think it is like Murphy said, like those spaces where there's an activity happening, but then there's parents within the vicinity. You know, maybe do, maybe sparking up that conversation with another parent. Um, I think both spaces have moved away from that kind of gallery or traditional museum experience where, you know, you're going through that rabbit warren. Then there's the seat that you sit at and contemplate. So, um, it's all very comfortable um, and and social. So I yeah, I hope there's um sort of interaction between parents and not just children.
1: When we were designing uh, some of the sort of communal spaces, both inside and outside, we used to actually keep mothers' groups in mind. So we were like, okay, can you get ten parents and prams in a space? Can that be their base camp? And is there enough space and things to do for all the children around that? Um, Also, fun fact, when we were writing the submission for the Melbourne Awards... um, so this is like an old stat now, but so February is normally our quietest um, month at the museum. So let's say... Can I say numbers? I don't know. Uh, <laughs> anyway, let's say 20,000 uh, 20, visitors in the whole month of February, which is the quietest one. Um, so once the Children's Gallery had opened, that had bumped up to 85,000. Wow. wow. So you can... And that is... We can only attribute it to the Children's Gallery opening... And Memberships have skyrocketed, so it, it, uh, it really has brought the people in and it's you know it 's exciting to hear you know that Mabel this was her this, she is part of the museum generation yes. and it 's obviously bringing lots of new people to the museum who might not have come otherwise yeah,
0: definitely I was saying to Naomi Mabel just makes it into the museum generation um, just she 's January 16 um, and we probably wouldn't have entered the museum otherwise, um, and now we'll definitely Look into getting a membership.
1: So uh, that membership will also get you into ScienceWorks and Immigration Museum. I've, and we've already
0: used it. We've gone to ScienceWorks. I'm just... I see that Clementine has a question. Hold on. Can, can I give you the mic? Just because it's being recorded.
5: Um, I just wanted... To, uh, was that 20,000 to 85,000 visitors in the one month? OK, right, cool. That's a low month. Yeah. And is 85,000 still... Is now February one of the highest... Visited months of the museum, or is it?
1: That's late? when we were writing the uh, submission. Oh, I'm not okay. sure what our regulars. <laughs> <says. laughs> I'm
3: sorry. School um, holidays. Yeah, winter school holidays is the the yeah. busiest. Yeah, don't come, don't
5: come. <laughs> um, I just everyone. <laughs> if you've got I mean, small come, people, come. Don't come. Come I, late. <laughs> mornings are busier yeah, than yeah. afternoon. Okay. Yeah. Um, I was wondering whether or not in the planning and designing of, um, I'm assuming some of you, if not all of you, have children. Um, in the planning and the designing of these spaces, though, did it spark... Like, did it deliver you back to come some kind of sense of joy in creating these things that... that um, I guess that... I really liked what you were saying about letting the children figure out how to play the toys and not having the, the toys play the children. Did it awaken something in you about that simplicity and make you excited as well? Because I it strikes me that as adults, we don't really have that many places to play either.
3: And when, as we were um, at ScienceWorks, as we've been prototyping materials, we would usually bring them to team meetings. So, there are purple blocks you can see here, uh, some of our prototype blocks that, for, that from within the space. Um, and we would have them there to play and we would have competitions who could build the best or the weirdest and we'd get someone else to judge. And, and it was... Um, People would, yeah. It was fun to see adults and not just from within our team, but other people in the organisation playing with the blocks, and it was a really nice excuse for us all to have a have a play as well.
4: Um, personally, I don't have any children, and I think the last three or four exhibitions I've worked on have been for children, um, <laughs> so it, it is interesting. But I think it does go back to that really early learning of being a young creative kid. Um, and And having that free rein to be able to come up with any idea and throw it on the table which was which was really nice, um, I actually sent some photos to my mother, and she sent some back of me pretty much building the exact same thing when I was maybe five or six years old, like at you know small scale um, but it is I, th- I think you really do need to kind of call on that kind of inner child um, before you grow up and lose all that <laughs> um, which which is nice.
2: Yeah. Um, when we began the children's gallery at Melbourne Museum, everyone on the project team had to bring a photo of themselves as a child, and uh, I've still got mine pinned up on my behind my desk, and it was a reminder. And we all had to say what our favourite toy was. So we were merely trying to get into that head headspace of playing. and I think w- we just felt so um, gratified and just to be able to play for two years. Literally. And when we presented to um, other stakeholders in the uh, museum, and we to talking to executive managers, etc., you know, we made them get up and dance. We made them put masks on and be tigers and, you know, we were just trying to get everyone into that mindset of play. Um, but I, just one other funny thing is when we went to, um, to Lady Gary um, in Docklands and we, with Polyglot, we set up this testing um, room. with you know just random things mirrors and and we just sat around and every child at that um, play centre came in in different groups and we didn't give them any instructions we just literally watched them and that was absolutely it was one of my favourite days ever and just seeing the differences in you know a three-month-old two-year-old three-year-old four-year-old five year and just there you could absolutely see the the change in their behaviours and how they play and how they interact with each other and just to observe was, you know, instead of us telling them how to play all the time. Um, so, as Joe mentioned, the photos
1: that we had to bring, uh, so mine was like with a really soft toy and I've always been a very tactile person, so getting to get like all the weird, fluffy, tactile
3: things. What was um, that? There was some... Weird goat skin. What was that fluffy thing you bought yes, that everyone had Iceland. to touch? Oh, that one. That yeah.
1: That was a Mongolian sheep.
3: Oh yeah.
1: Uh, everything where it's just a byproduct of the meat industry, <laughs> etc. But you know, we wanted to have lots of things that we know normally can't last in the gallery. So we would developed this sort of um, steel frame within lots of weird tactile things that we could just plonk in it and we can, if it's ruined, we just put a new one in, etc. You know, we create weird rugs and we just had a lot of fun Um, in the rock garden outside there's all the rocks and some of them might be significant and some of them aren't but they let us loose in this rock dealer's yard and you know we had our geologist with us who's like oh this is the blah 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 and we we're like we don't care we want all the blue things we want all the round things we want all the pink things so they, we set out like a five meter diameter area and we just went and just collected every fun rock that we liked not for its significance but just because it looked pretty or it looked like rocky road or some like shiny sparkly black things so we had our inner child
0: I think mine follows on from that. Um, Have you infected the rest of the museum and the rest of science works with the idea of learning through play? I'm a bit of a convert to the idea of lifelong kindergarten and that, you know, adults can learn this way, that adults don't have to forget how to play, that immersive, intuitive experiences are a really great way to learn. You certainly hear a
3: lot lot of people say learn through play and... um a lot more, like it is becoming more a part of our language. Um, uh, that yeah, other people within the organisation are are appreciating, and you know, because both of these exhibitions were built with the needs first. The needs came first. It wasn't a curatorial decision. It wasn't about the objects leading, or you know, someone decided we're going to do an exhibition about trains, and then oh okay, and how will we make that accessible? So. It's, it's these, I think, have really started leading a change in um, the audience's needs coming first, whether that be babies or teenagers. We're building an exhibition for teenagers at ScienceWorks as well and we've got a junior board of local 13- to 15-year-olds who are our consultants. Um, and I think it is leading a change of, yeah, putting the audience before the object or, yeah... Uh, At Melbourne Museum we have an exhibition
2: opening on the 23rd of December called Inside Out and there's no text, no labels. So it's very much about um, a different type of experience and we're calling it an audio aesthetic experience. But um, I guess we, you know, as a museum we know that we have to, um, you know, change and adapt and, um, you know, we're all growing up in a very... um, well, just an interesting world where we don't just sit and, you know, read text. Everyone learns differently. And I think we are, you know, we recognise that, that everyone enjoys the museum in a different way. So we're really trying to um, create experiences to appeal to a broad range. Yeah. <laughs>
0: Um, I just wanted to quickly ask, Murphy mentioned that um, some of the findings from the Children's Museum were then applied to the design of Ground Up. So just wondering, what did you learn about how parents and babies occupy space and I how think, did that inform the I think design? I remember
3: Children's Gallery opened 12 months ago and we've just opened a week ago. And I remember, Scott, after you went to visit the first time, the first thing you did, you came back and put like three or four more seating areas because we people were staying people staying at the children's gallery for about two hours um, some families there was a one family that was there for eight hours they'd come at opening uh, because it's such a big venue and that this just your children's gallery sort of became the base camp and you know so you'd start there you'd have your coffee but um, and then you'd have a play there then you'd get baby to sleep in the pram and you walk and look at the dinosaurs with the four-year-old and then you'd come back and have lunch in the garden Um so we knew people were staying for a, a longer time. We don't have the beautiful garden and the, the coffee experience at ScienceWorks, unfortunately, uh, but we knew that we needed to make the space more comfortable so that people could dwell for a longer time. Um, and just that how well that intuitiveness was working, that we didn't need labels, we didn't need words, we didn't need text panels, um, and that we knew that we could run with that um, and that it would work for us too. So thanks for breaking that ground.
4: <laughs> and it wasn't necessarily, like, really specific activities or, like, well, from a design point of view, there was a lot of materials that children used that were great um, and and similar fabricators that we used. Um, but it was more the, you know, like, looking at a certain age bracket that they looked at um, and the types of interactions that worked um, or the types of activities and, and breaking that down... Um, you know, it's it's really hard to get like a to get that online through literature. So so all being in the same studio and and seeing that evolve, like um, you know, when that was coming to fruition I had just started that museum, so it was it was really nice to see that all happening and, and then delve into that research. So um, yeah, I always wonder what it would be like if we were just cold turkey on it, but um, I think it's definitely better than what it would have been. <laughs>
1: Yeah, Alex, who is, uh, who is our um, education representative on it, she had an Uber spreadsheet, like you would not believe, and it went through every stage, so six months, 12 months, 18 months, two years, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, and then breaking down what, uh, what their developmental needs are at each one of those stages and making sure that we've got enough for every single age, for every single developmental need that we're hitting everything. So, even though it just looks like, oh, there's just lots of things for them to do and to play with, like, we went, we just went all out on it. And we just, (laughs) you know, checked off every single thing that we possibly could. Yeah, so she did amazing. Um, And in the children's gallery, we've got soft fall underneath all of the carpet, So, everywhere where there's carpet, um, there's like a 50 mil build-up of, uh, there's like a shock pad underneath the carpet. So the The surfaces are really soft, so people are just sitting everywhere. The kids just take their shoes off and they just run around etc but it's it is sort of more comfortable than just being on the concrete, so just making sure that you know this can happen sort of everywhere um, so and I think that 's part of the reason why they stay longer because it 's very comfortable for everyone
4: um, The other thing as well, like Murphy touched on it like we're the next show that i 'm working on is specifically for teenagers, which I'm actually finding harder. <laughs> Um, than toddlers uh, they both give you limited feedback but
3: um, <laughs> neither it, of them are very verbal
4: n- they're not very verbal at all
3: um,
4: sometimes you feel like the hero dad trying to impress them but um, it, I hope that the findings that we we achieve through um, Beyond Perception which is the, is the show hopefully kind of feeds into more things at ScienceWorks or more things at Melbourne Museum or, or Immigration or wherever it is so I think there is this sort of shared knowledge within within design and also research um, that can kind of feed in. And also outside of the museum, like I would never hesitate to, to pass on the findings to someone else designing their own space or community um, sort of engagement centre, whether it's in library or...
3: And an like our, of, our yeah. checklist for engaging girls in yep. exhibition spaces was yep. something that has... Um, come out of this that we're using both for Ground Up and Beyond Perception and that would be great to see that checklist have a life beyond
0: yep. just science works. Mm. I think we better wrap up just so you guys can get going and we can do our second session but thank you so much for speaking um, no about the exhibitions and I'd encourage everyone to get to Ground Up it's really fun, we took Mabel on the rainy uh, Thursday afternoon last week and she had a really wonderful time it was a really great space so thank you very much and Murphy's going to stay. Yep. I'll stick around um, Yeah, Thanks. Thank you going to have a short break um, to just chill or whatever um, and then we're going to have a conversation with karen pickering who's rocking her baby to sleep over there and clementine ford who's just here and murphy's going to stick around to have a general q a as well um, after the break thanks